Today's teaching text is Ephesians six ten to seventeen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His、uh, mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the word of God for the people of God. Good morning again. <laughs> It's really great to be back here in Chicago, specifically with you guys here at First Free. I I have to confess, and I, maybe you can blur that out in the streaming. It's nothing too bad. <laughs> But we feel a lot more at home, Daniela and I, and the kids here in Chicago than we actually do in Germany. Maybe you can somehow beep this out for our German supporters. <laughs> Uh, but it is great to be back. I remember on the first day I arrived, the Shemandels. I'm staying with Dale and Ruth. They picked me up, and they gave me their car on the next day. And I was just going to Walmart. I, I mean, nothing fancy, but I was yelling for joy in the car. Have you ever experienced that? When you when you're so full of joy, and nobody's around, you just yell out. So I was just going to Walmart. You know, <laughs> I was so happy to be back. We have really fond memories. Um, our three oldest sons were born here, and yeah, we we grew up here as as a family. And talking about craziness of emotions and thoughts, there are certain questions which have、uh, risen in the last couple of months for me.、Um, and one of the questions, for example, is, what is our role, our role still as missionaries in Peru? We could actually expand that. What is what? What is the role of missionaries in general in the world still? Specifically, talking about Western missionaries, and I do ask that question myself, and I do ask these questions to my Peruvian colleagues as well. And there are different kinds of ideas what the role of Western missionaries still is. We'll not talk about that right now. We can talk about that at the luncheon. Everyone is welcome to join. One of the attacks on Christian mission. Specifically in Germany, but I bet that in the U.S. it's not that different. Is doesn't Christian mission destroy indigenous cultures? Has anyone here heard about that kind of a myth or that kind of an attack on Christian mission? Yes, some of you may actually hold to that. That's okay. You can hold to that if you want to. I don't think it's true, but you can hold to that. We are free to do so. And I think this is really a myth 
Because one of the myths with that is as if indigenous people, wherever and whoever they may be, live a peaceful life. And everything is so wonderful. And everything is so great. And there is shalom, peace, in every corner. But I don't think this is actually true. Reality for a lot of people, and for a lot of peoples, is to live in fear, is to live with anxiety, in depression. And I remember in one of my trips to the Indian highlands, um, I don't understand everything because they switch between Spanish and Quechua while they are talking, so I only get like half of the snippets. But one of the brothers there said he was coming home one night late. It was dark already. He was walking in the highlands, and there was a figure coming from the mountains towards him and pretended to be his wife. And he said, he looked like my wife, but I knew it's not my wife. So he just said, no, and went straight home. And his wife was sitting in the kitchen waiting for him. So what was that he encountered? What is the spiritual realm he encountered? I remember another story. Uh, I do have a bad back since I was five years old. So I went to a physiotherapist. And she told me a story, and I will not get into it because it freaks me out. <laughs> but, you know, birds make certain sounds, right? And she told me, have you ever heard that bird? And he makes that sound. It sounds like, oh, mama, oh, mama. It's like, yes, I've heard that sound. Mama is like mom in Spanish. And she told me the story behind it, how a little child got kidnapped, and so on and so on. Scary stuff. And that's what they grow up with. It's a very scary fearful culture, or it can be. And I think out of love, we cannot stand by as Christians and say, well, this is just their culture. We shouldn't destroy that. That's, that's how they do it. That's how it should be. A German ethnologist, Lothar Kaiser, he wrote a book on animism, which is talking about this fear-driven culture. And, well, he says... It is quite interesting that when we talk about um, development workers and missionaries, there's kind of a, a double morality we put towards it. So he talks about all of these questions in an interview, and I like one of his responses. Uh, it's very insightful. I just want to point out that one. So when the interviewers ask him the questions about development workers, and they, he, they say, couldn't the development workers not do the exact same work as missionaries. And there's actually an advantage because the missionaries bring a foreign culture and a foreign religion to the people, which the development workers don't do. And here's his answer. I love it. So he says, if a European teacher on a South Sea island says in astronomy class that the sun and the moon are not gods, but are celestial bodies made of matter, what is that called? Development work, right? So he says, this is regarded as development and educational aid. If a missionary on the pulpit in the church 20 yards away says the same thing on a Sunday, it is considered a destruction of the religion concerned. It can, and he says at the end, I can hardly think of a more grotesque kind of argumentation. We all have 
and are shaped by our culture. We all are, even development workers going somewhere. And I do think that all of our culture, or most parts of our culture, actually need redemption. Even US culture, even German culture, Peruvian culture, we all need a savior. We all need redemption. And therefore, we need to cling to Jesus himself, who is the true liberator. And he can set us free. And not only from guilt, also from shame and from fear, from all the baggage and the evil aspects of our culture. Jesus saves in all these aspects. Amen? Amen. Okay, you still say amen. That's good. <laughs> okay. Here, just one example. Do we have Moody students or former Moody students here? Okay. You probably had to read Bruchko. Is that right? Yes, still. <laughs> okay, I had to read that too. And he gives Bruce Olson. He was working among the Motilone in Colombia, Venezuela, and uh, among the indigenous people there. And here's a snippet of what he says. He writes, since then, since he came and worked with them for a long time, um, he says, 18 villages and health centers have been built, 42 schools with 2,500 students, 22 agricultural centers, and 11 cooperative farms. 15 metalone are studying at a university level now, and 12 are training to become nurses. All 400 graduates are back in their tribe to, to serve their people. One Indian studied business administration and is now a minister of ethnic affairs of the country. So we're not destroying culture. We try to introduce Jesus to everyone. Amen? This is our goal. This is our mission. And this is not only the mission of cross-cultural missionaries. It's the mission of everyone. Jesus is our true liberator. Let us embrace the mystery and see that the triune divine warrior is on our side. In our passage today, we were reading in Ephesians 6, and when we look at Ephesians 6, Paul is now coming to a conclusion. So he reiterates what he said before already, again in chapter 6 at the end. For example, the word heavenly appears a lot of times already. The word rulers and authority have appeared already. And he will get into it because he's talking about an unseen reality. And our text, verse 12, if you have your Bibles open, is, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And that is very important to keep in mind. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. But we are getting ahead. Let us uh, start from the beginning. And my structure for today is fairly simple. Verse 10. Where does our strength come from? That's the first and foremost question Paul addresses. Where does our strength come from? And then he's talking about in the second part, 11 through 13, we should be putting on or clothing ourselves with God's armor. 
And then he explains in the third part what God's armor is. So last week, Pastor Matt was explaining to us the household code. You remember when he talks about slaves, wives, children, fathers, and so forth. But now we are on different crowns. And John Stott, in his commentary, writes something beautiful. He says, We have an abrupt transition from the peaceful homes and healthy days to the hideous malice of devilish plots. Now repeat that. There is an abrupt transition from the peaceful homes and healthful days to the hideous malice of devilish plots. Though we all, or at least most of us, like to live peaceful lives and stay in our shire, if possible, there is evil in this world. There are bad evil spirits, and they need to be exposed and combated. Frodo says, I wish, I wish the ring had never come to me. Right? (laughs) I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf's answer, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. We all wish our culture would be different. Probably we all wish our churches would be different as well, right? But this is not for us to decide. We have to decide what do we do in God's mission here in Chicago. Let us now move to the text. Paul comes to a finish. Finally, finally, that is his conclusion. Years ago, uh, a guest speaker came to First Free. Some of you, you might remember he was giving a sermon. I will not mention names. He was giving a sermon and uh, kept talking and kept talking. And he tried to land the plane. You could see he was trying to finish the sermon, but he couldn't do it. He was just going on and on and on until Pastor Bill got up, got on the stage here, put his arm around him, and in a very gentle Pastor Bill manner said, I think that's enough for today, isn't it? <laughs> and this is how the sermon ended. <laughs> Paul is not that way. He comes to a conclusion, and he comes to a mighty conclusion when he says, look at this, finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Three times. Be strengthened, passive, we'll talk about that in a moment, in the Lord and in the strength of his power. This is powerful language Paul is talking about here. Power, 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 strength, strength, strength. But it's not ours. It's God's. It is his power. And so what kind of power is he talking about? Well, he already mentioned that beforehand in chapter 1, where he says... What is the the incomparable, here we go, incomparable greatness of his power, again, power language, toward us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength? What is this power? This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We're talking about resurrection power. 
It is resurrection power Paul is talking about. It's not some kind of uh, energy somewhere. It's resurrection power. And that resurrection power is actually, and now I'm going to get theological, pneumatologically defined. What does that mean? Just a moment. We'll just read. In chapter 3, 16, Paul again talks about power and strength. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened, passive again, with power through his spirit. This is the pneumatological, just means it is through the Holy Spirit God strengthens us. It is resurrection power by the Holy Spirit. I was teaching a class once on Christology about who is, who is Jesus, pretty much. That's the class. And I remember at one point, I was talking about that Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? He was truly God, yes. He was also 100% human as we are. And all, everything he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then after class, because the real question never come in the class, after class, one of the students comes to me and is like, Hermano Benjamin, uh, Brother Benjamin, do, do, do we have the same Holy Spirit as Jesus had? <laughs> and I said, I mean, it's kind of a ridiculous question in one sense, but it's also a very profound question. And I said, I only heard of one Holy Spirit so far. Yes, we do have the same Holy Spirit Jesus had. So we can live in this resurrection power because it's the same spirit who is strengthening us. It is God who strengthens us. It is God who strengthens you. It is his power. It is his Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't say toughen up. Well, life is like that. Get a helmet, right? No, be strengthened in the Lord. Passive. He will strengthen you, and he will strengthen me for his mission. In his article, um, The Divine Warrior, the New Testament Use of Old Testament Motive, Trample Longman writes that the real power is not found in human participants, but rather in the power of God. After all, the armor is called the full armor of God. It is not our strength. It is not our capacity. It is not us doing, 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 doing. It is the Lord strengthening us. And it is quite fascinating, if you would have a lot more time, to look at Isaiah. Because in Isaiah, there is somebody wearing the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. But it's not a human being. It is God himself wearing the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. God is a divine warrior, and he is on our side. The question then becomes, where do you recharge? Where do you get your strength from? Are you still holding on to your own capacity, or do you let loose and let God strengthen you through the Holy Spirit? Let us embrace the mystery and see that the divine, the triune divine warrior is on our side. He is on our side. It is his strength. Yet, Paul goes on, clothe yourselves 
There's something we need to do. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul talks a lot about clothing imagery in his letters. And he's oftentimes using this imagery about being clothed with Christ and here, the armor of God. And as I mentioned before, he picks up the passage from Isaiah to say, look, God is now clothing us or giving us his full armor, the same armor he is wearing. He gives it to us. And you need to clothe yourself with it. Because only in him is there strength to be found. Now I'm going to say what I might mess up. (laughs) The Ephesians had some experience with the occult. Close, occult, occult, with the evil. (laughs) Yes, you you know what I'm talking about, okay? They had, and we read that in Acts 19, that they really had a lot of issues with black magic, as if they would be white magic. But they were doing a lot of devilish things before. So they did have an idea what Paul is talking about when he says here, the schemes of the devil. The snake of old is crafty. It always has been crafty. From the beginning, has God really said? The devil attacks. Demons attack us. And they always do it in a sneaky way to introduce doubt. Never in open battlefield when we are by ourselves in the corner. Are you sure you're a Christian? Look at you. Look at your life. Do you think God is proud of you? Do you think God loves you the way you live right now? This is the devil coming in all the time. All the time. And Paul says, be strengthened in the Lord. It is his strength. Hold on to him. Because the devil seduces and he deceives. We have read that already beforehand. In, for example, in Ephesians 4, where Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. And then he goes on, Do not give the devil an opportunity. Be strengthened in the Lord. Our struggle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. And we have to really keep that in mind every day. Because I know that U.S. culture is very divisive right now. Even the churches are very divisive. And I don't want to give advice. I'm not a political uh, advisor. In one sense, I am actually, because to believe in Jesus as Lord is something political. He is our Lord. He is the head of the church. And our allegiance and our loyalty is to him and him alone. People are not the enemy, according to Paul. And I was just talking to Dana Harris, New Testament professor. Uh, We had coffee together at Trinity. And and she said something wonderful. I don't want to quote her because I'm not sure if she said it exactly that way, but that's how I uh, wrote it down. People are our mission field, not our battlefield. And I love that. Dana, if you're listening, this is uh, accredited to you. People are our mission field, not our battlefield. Our battlefield is totally different. It's not the people beside, behind, or in front of us. 
as Jesus followers, we are supposedly living in the shalom of God, right? We are living in the peace of God. Jesus Christ has reconciled us to the Father. We now have peace, Paul says in Romans 5. And we are spreading the shalom of God to whomever we encounter, even our enemies. Bless your enemies. Pray for them. And my question is, where does first free fit, it, fit in there in its geographical, social, and historical setting? What does it mean to spread the shalom of God here in Andersonville? What does it mean for us? Or what does it mean for you? Because I'm going to be leaving on Tuesday. What does it mean? And I don't have an answer. That's something we all have to struggle with. What does it mean to be a peacemaker in this world? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavens. What are these beings? The Bible doesn't tell a whole lot what they are, but they're evil, they're malevolent spiritual beings, which are using... Human beings, yes. And they're using systemic evil to create chaos, confusion, and deception. I've already mentioned that Paul has been using certain terms various times. Heavenly, rulers, authority. If you have paid attention to the book of Ephesians, somebody is ruling in the heavenlies, actually. Do you know who it is? It is where Christ rules. And Paul says in chapter 2, and we are seated there as well. Why? Because we are strengthened in the Lord and put on his full armor. We are seated with Christ to rule. And what does this rule mean? To serve. To serve the community we are in. To spread peace shalom, and justice. And it's quite interesting in the passage, um, I'm going to use some Greek now, you don't have to remember that, but he's talking about cosmokrator, uh, world rulers. In the Bible, we have a pantokrator, oftentimes being, uh, um, Jesus is being acclaimed to be pantokrator. He is the all ruler. So we are only, only dealing with world rulers, Jesus is the all-ruler. He is seated in the heavenlies to reign. Amen? And he is our Lord. Let us therefore embrace the mystery and see that the triune divine warrior is on our side. It is God's armor. But we do have a responsibility. And with that, we come to a conclusion of this sermon. I think it has been rightly observed that it, Paul is less concerned with each individual item of the armor. I think he talks about a package. And as we have seen, he doesn't necessarily only allude to the Roman soldier armor. He's actually alluding to Isaiah. He's talking about God, the divine warrior. So what, what is Paul talking about at the end? I think he's talking about virtues, an ethic of being, how should we then live in this world? And former professor of New Testament from TEDS, 
Walter Liefeld, he said the following. The armor of Ephesians is the armor of God and of his Messiah. And the basic concerns are for one, the achievement of righteousness and justice. And second, the proclamation of God's truth that brings peace. It would seem appropriate to conclude as well that in Ephesians, the point is not merely, and I like that, it's not merely protection of God's people during satanic attack, but the achievement of truth. Righteousness and justice, as well as of the peace brought by the gospel. You might now ask, how then shall we live? Very good question. Paul gives us the answer when he describes the armor of God. Truth. We are embracing the truth of the gospel. And we are living truthfully in that message. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We are holding on to what has been entrusted to us for the benefit of our neighbor. We're holding on to that which has been entrusted to us for the benefit of those around us. Looking at Christ, our righteousness. He is the righteous one. And we are only righteous because we are in him. Or Paul oftentimes says, in Christ, right? So our righteousness stems from him. And we live a righteous life. How can we do that? Well, if we are strengthened by the Lord and empowered by his Holy Spirit, as Jesus was. And we are walking in such a way that being upright becomes the rule and pointing to Christ the norm. We walk in such a way that being upright becomes the rule. Being honest becomes the rule. Being righteous becomes the rule. And pointing to Christ, the true righteous one, the norm. Third, celebrating the peace, the shalom, Christ has established between us and God. And we share this good news with those around. Because we all need shalom, the wholeness, peace. Peace with God, but also peace with one another. Fourth, nurturing our personal faith by remembering Christ's faithfulness. He is the true faithful one. And our faith is in his faithfulness. And that we may flourish in our community because we hold to that conviction that he is the faithful one. He established peace between God and us. And he wants us to flourish, shalom, and those around us as well. Yesterday, I was participating in a, in a conference between Latin American theologians and Palestinian theologians. And I don't want to go into details, but one of the Palestinian theologians said, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he said that includes us Palestinians as well. And he, they are Christians. We want that faith for everyone, that shalom for everyone. And we're holding to the hope of Christ's return. This is our hope, Paul says. He will return, and he will establish, finally, peace, righteousness, and justice, real justice on this earth. How do we do that again? By listening to the Spirit's leading and listening to God's word. 
Let us embrace the mystery and see that the triune divine warrior is on our side. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you. Who are we to stand here? We only stand here because you gave your son for us. We are in him. It is your strength. And we pray, Lord, that through the power of the Holy Spirit and for Christ's name's sake, strengthen us. Amen.